Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcast commercial-free the day I record them, go to petershift.locals.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Jeff Verdon Law Group. For more than 20 years, I've entrusted my personal estate planning and asset protection to the Jeffrey Verdon Law Group, and you should too. Go to jmvlaw.com and mention my name and get 50% off on your initial consultation. As I said when I recorded my podcast on Friday, CNBC's call for a market bottom was premature to say the least. Now, I wouldn't exactly call what happened today a Black Monday, certainly not as bad as that Monday back in 1987 when the Dow Jones dropped 22% in a single day. Although there were many stocks that were actually down more than 20% today alone. And these are stocks that had already been beaten up, were nowhere near their highs, and then they got clobbered again. In fact, I really can't remember a day where so many stocks were down this much. And I'm talking about including the dot-com bubble popping, the 2008 financial crisis, the 2020 COVID crisis, just the sheer number of stocks that really got taken out behind the woodshed and not just shot, but mauled and then shot. Now, the Dow Jones itself wasn't actually down that much. It's only down about 2%. But still, beneath the surface was a lot of carnage. Now, based on all of the indiscriminate selling that I saw today, we could be quite a bit closer to an actual short-term bottom than the bottom that CNBC thought we had on Monday. Now, even if we have a short-term bottom, I don't think this is the end of the bear market, but it could be nearing a bottom in certain types of stocks like the mining stocks, particularly the silver stocks. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but let me get into the broader market right now. The S&P down 3.2%, so a much broader decline than the one in the Dow. But as we move up the risk curve, we see even bigger declines. The NASDAQ was down 3.7%. That is a big move in one day, only eclipsed by the Russell 2000. You know, for all the coverage the tech stocks are getting, look at the Russell 2000. These are much smaller companies. That index down 4.5%. Again, I've been hammering this point on my podcast. That is a flashing red alert for the U.S. economy because these are domestically oriented companies and they are doing the worst. Now, when you get to the more speculative tech stocks, They did even worse than the Russell 2000. Look at the Kathy Wood ARK Innovation ETF. That fund down another 10% today in one day. Although this time, Bitcoin stole the spotlight. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was down 16.5% on the day. These are big moves. Let me recap the moves from the highs so you have an idea where we are in correction or bear market territory. The Dow Jones is now down 12.7%. We're barely in correction territory. You would have no idea how much pain the typical investor was feeling if you just looked at the Dow. But, you know, the typical investor doesn't own the Dow, right? The Dow wasn't sexy enough for all these millennial investors trading for the first time using their Robinhood apps. But the S&P 500 
That index is down 17.2%. We're almost in bear market territory. We're deep in correction territory. And I think we're going to hit bear market territory before we see a bottom in the market. But look at the NASDAQ composite. This bear market is getting more ferocious. The NASDAQ is now down 27.3% from its peak. But of course, the leader, or in this case, the biggest loser, again, is the Russell 2000 down 28.4%. This is really getting ugly, and it's a long way down. In fact, by the time the Dow Jones officially makes it into bear market territory, if the Fed doesn't cry uncle before then, I expect both the Russell 2000 and the NASDAQ to be down 50% or more. But the stocks that really stole the show today when it comes to the biggest losers were anything related to blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, and that's with Bitcoin still holding key support. As I am recording this podcast on Monday afternoon, Bitcoin is trading around 31,000. The low for the day was about 30,400. Key support is a little below 30,000. 29,000, 30,000, somewhere around there. I think if we break through that level decisively, Bitcoin's going to crash. I think below 10,000, somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000, I think it'll be a short-term bottom and then there'll be a meaningful bounce before the next move down to new lows. But look at how weak these stocks are, even with Bitcoin holding that key support. Now, what I've been saying on this podcast for weeks is that these crypto-related stocks are a leading indicator for weakness in Bitcoin, that these stocks were forecasting that Bitcoin would, in fact, break support. And even though it hasn't done that yet, it's clear to me that it's going to. And when it does, it's not like these stocks are going to bottom. No, I think they have another huge leg down once support is broken. Take a look at some of these movers today. The poster boy for crashes on the day is MicroStrategy. This is Michael Saylor's company. He is the biggest Bitcoin promoter out there. He's got all this Bitcoin, billions of dollars of Bitcoin on his balance sheet. He was urging other CEOs to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And any CEO who is dumb enough to follow this Pied Piper of doom down that primrose path, well, they're probably going to get fired based on the hole that's now in their balance sheet. But MicroStrategy was down 25% today. That's one day, an entire bear market plus an extra 5% in a single day. MicroStrategy now down 75% from last year's high. And here's the deal on MicroStrategy. Their cost basis on all of their Bitcoin, assuming they haven't bought more, is about 30,700 or so. We're just there. So if Bitcoin breaks below 30,000, MicroStrategy is now going to be down on its Bitcoin. And remember, it borrowed a lot of money to buy that Bitcoin. And from what I've read online, if we go below 20,000, there's going to be a margin call, meaning that MicroStrategy is going to have to put up more security. Now, apparently there's more Bitcoin to put up, but who knows what those Bitcoin will be worth. I've been saying since the beginning, I think the end game for MicroStrategy as a company is bankruptcy. And I think the creditors are going to end up owning the company. And I am sticking to that forecast Another debacle du jour is Coinbase. This, again, is a marquee 
stock. This is a bellwether for the entire crypto industry. And it shouldn't even matter necessarily that Bitcoin is going down because all Coinbase needs is trading. As long as people are trading, they're making money. But if Bitcoin is crashing, there's not much left to trade. And so I think the fortunes of Coinbase and Bitcoin and other cryptos are joined at the hip. And look at Coinbase today, down 18%. Again, this is one day. Coinbase is now down 77% since last year's high when it IPO'd. Here's another one. Mike Novogratz's company, Galaxy Digital, down 26% on the day. That one actually was down more than MicroStrategy. It's now down 79% from last year's high. Here's another name, Bitfarm. They mine Bitcoin down 19% today, down 77% from its peak. Hive blockchain down 16.5% on the day, down 80% from its peak. There's one more I want to throw in, which actually held up pretty good today. It didn't even make a new 52-week low. That's Robinhood. And I kind of think of Robinhood as a crypto stock because a lot of cryptocurrencies are traded on Robinhood, plus a lot of these Crypto-related stocks are also traded on Robinhood. But look at the decline from last year's peak. This stock is number one in losing. It is down 89% from its peak. But it's not finished going down. I think it's going to go down 100% because as I've been saying, that company is destined for bankruptcy. I think if they don't lose enough money in the market, they're going to lose what's left over in lawsuits because all their customers who lost money are going to be filing lawsuits to get it back. And that's going to bog them down in arbitrations from now until the time that they file bankruptcy. But there's going to be a lot of lawsuits, obviously, when the dust settles and all the money is gone and all the dreams are gone. In fact, I was listening to the talking heads on CNBC. You know, these guys really have nothing to say. They're totally clueless. They're watching their favorite cryptocurrency. In fact, they love all the cryptos. They never probably met a crypto they didn't like, but they're watching this meltdown and they're kind of scratching their heads and they don't understand it. They're still not telling anybody to sell. They're still bringing on these so-called crypto experts who are really just pump and dumpers. They're never there to give honest opinion. They're just trying to pump up Bitcoin or other cryptos so they can dump whatever they've got. CNBC still hasn't figured this out. But one of the things that one of these talking heads said today was that, you know, we just need to ring out the speculators. We just need to get rid of the people who are buying Bitcoin to get rich. The people who are buying it because they think it's going to go to the moon. They're buying it because it's a risk asset. All these hedge funds or institutions that got in because they thought it would go way up. We just need to get rid of those guys so that we can have the core, hardcore believers, these libertarian idealists who bought Bitcoin because they really believe it's an alternative to gold. It's an alternative to the fiat monetary system. They didn't buy it to get rich. They bought it because they believed in it. They bought it as a safe haven, as a store of value, as a digital version of gold. Just those core true believers. Just get rid of all these crazy Johnny-come-latelys who jumped on the bag wagon to make money. Well, yeah, except that's the market. Why do you think Bitcoin went up so much? It's because all the people buying it to get rich. The people who bought it just because they wanted something that was stable, something that would be an inflation hedge because they didn't like central banks, that's a tiny fraction of the money that's in Bitcoin. You think the people who were 
buying Bitcoin because they follow a celebrity, either a sports figure or an entertainer on Instagram or TikTok. You think those guys know anything about fiat money? No, they just thought they could get rich because some celebrity they admire told them that it was a good idea. So we need to ring out the speculation, which is true. But what CNBC doesn't seem to understand is when you get rid of all the marginal buyers, where's the price going to be? I think it's somewhere below $1,000 of Bitcoin before you've got just the true believers. The problem is a lot of these true believers may be forced out of their Bitcoin if you get that big a decline. Why? Because they're going to need the money. And all they've got is their cryptocurrency. All they have is Bitcoin. Because all these Bitcoin companies are going to fail. They're going bankrupt. And you know what? A lot of the people who work for these companies, where's their money? In Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. They're all in. They've got everything they've got riding on this one bet. And when it goes bad, they lose everything. So even the true believers, I think most of them, are going to get flushed out of this market. But it wasn't just the crypto stocks that got clobbered today, although they got clobbered the most. A lot of the stocks that I own got hit pretty hard today. The ones that were hit the hardest were my mining stocks. The GDX, which is the mining index of the senior producers, was down 6%. And the GDXJ, the junior miners, down 7.4%. And some of the biggest losers were the silver stocks. Just to give you a couple, First Majestic down 10%. New 52-week low. Pan American Silver down 9%. These are huge moves. And gold wasn't down that much. Gold was only down about 1%. So gold was down less than the Dow, well less than the S&P. Gold held up reasonably well. It didn't go up, but it didn't get clobbered. But the mining stocks sure as hell got clobbered. And that's on top of the big losses from Friday and from the entire week before. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Gold has not gone down that much. The current price is about $1,854 an ounce. 
So it's still really holding above that old 1850 support level. Yes, it wasn't able to hold 1900, which was support for a while. It peaked its head above 2000 briefly, but not long enough to ever establish support there. But we came back to the old area of support that launched us up to 2000. So gold is hanging out pretty strong. And as I mentioned on the last podcast, if you price gold in euros or yen or Aussie dollars or Canadian dollars, or any one of a number of currencies, it's right at the all-time highs or making new highs based on the relative strength of the dollar. So gold is doing its job in terms of most currencies as remaining a stable store of value, unlike Bitcoin, which is crashing more than most tech stocks and certainly any equity even remotely related to Bitcoin. Look what happened to Square, or we used to be called Square. Now it's called Block. That stock was down 13% on the day, and it's now down 71% from its peak because of the close ties that the company had to Bitcoin and blockchain. But the question is, why are these gold stocks and silver stocks going down as much as tech stocks? Because this should be an environment where gold and silver stocks shine. After all, gold and silver are two metals that do the best in an inflationary environment. They actually do better than base metals and other commodities during periods of high inflation. So what gives? We have the highest inflation we've had in 40 years officially. Unofficially, it's probably the highest inflation we've had in my lifetime and maybe the lifetime of my grandparents. So given how much inflation we have, Why is gold and silver going down? And why are these gold and silver mining stocks getting clobbered? Again, you have to understand the reason for this. I've talked about it on the podcast, but I got to reiterate it. It's not because these stocks aren't inflation hedges. It's not because gold and silver won't do well in an inflationary environment. They will. It's just that investors still believe the Fed that there's no inflation to worry about because the Federal Reserve is on the job now. Yes, they got it wrong. They didn't see inflation coming. And then when they did, they thought it was transitory. But now that they admit that it wasn't transitory, well, they are going to get rid of it. And the markets still believe the Fed, that the Fed is going to do the impossible. Remember, I used to use this analogy about how the Fed was going to shrink its balance sheet. When people would talk about how it was a difficult trick, I would say it's not a difficult trick. A difficult trick is pulling the tablecloth out from under the dishes and leaving the dishes on the table without you know knocking them down. That was a difficult trick. I said what the Fed had to do was an impossible trick. What the Fed had to do was yank the table out from under the cloth and have the cloth and the dishes levitate in midair, right? That is what they have to do now. It is impossible. Everybody assumes that the Federal Reserve can do what it is claiming it is going to do, and that is fight inflation without causing a recession. Again, look at every statement that Powell makes about the Fed's resolve when it comes to fighting inflation. It's all contingent on the strong U.S. economy and the strong labor market being able to withstand the higher interest rates. Whenever Powell is asked a question about what the Fed will do if the economy weakens, 
and we still have an inflation problem? He never answers that question. He always sidesteps it. And that's because either he can't answer it or he won't answer it because he doesn't want the markets to know the truth. But I have been answering that question from the beginning because I understand the nature of this economy. Either the Fed doesn't understand it or they're lying about it. It's not enough just to create wealth. It's essential to protect your wealth from unseen lawsuits, creditors and predators, including your own government seizing assets because you support the wrong political party. Every year, more than 15 million lawsuits are filed in the United States. Many of these lawsuits are frivolous, using lawyers to try to enrich the suing party, knowing that you'll likely settle rather than incur the expense and the aggravation. But imagine your hard-earned assets were held in legal structures that prevented creditors from gaining easy access to your assets. Remove the profit from the pursuit, and most of these lawsuits will never happen. These days, having a sound and effective integrated estate planning and risk mitigation strategy is essential for affluent investors and business owners to secure their legacies. When total protection is wanted, and believe me, it's always wanted, reach out to Jeffrey Burdon at Jeffrey Burdon Law Group who's been protecting and securing his clients' legacies for decades. Remember, you must act now. You can't wait until after a lawsuit is filed or the asset protection won't work. So don't delay. Contact the Jeffrey Burdon Law Group today and mention my name and get a 50% discount on your initial consultation. With decades of experience assisting affluent investors and business owners in securing their legacies, the Jeffrey Burdon Law Group can really make a difference for you and your family. That's why I've been working with Jeff myself for years. When combining integrated estate planning with asset protection, affluent investors and business owners can install effective firewall protection against future what-ifs. In particular, Jeff Burdon helped me set up a trust structure where everything in the trust is completely exempt from the estate tax. So no matter how much money is there, all of it goes to my heirs and none of it goes to the government. So contact the Jeff Verdon Law Firm now and mention my name to get a 50% discount on your initial consultation. That's jmvlaw.com. And again, I've seen this before with the housing bubble. All of the big wigs at the Federal Reserve leading up to the 2008 financial crisis, including Janet Yellen, who was on the FOMC out in California, San Francisco, and Ben Bernanke, who was the chair. Everybody was saying that there was no housing bubble, even though we had an enormous housing bubble. But also, they went on to say, and including Janet Yellen, that even if the Fed was wrong, and there was a housing bubble there, and even if that housing bubble popped, they were confident that it wouldn't impact the economy, that we had a really strong economy and that housing wasn't that important and that even if housing prices fell nationally, the economy would still be strong. That's how naive these guys were. That's how little they understood of the economy because the entire economy, a big bubble, rested on the foundation of the housing bubble and all of the home equity extractions and the spending that went along with it. It was integral to that economy. And even when the subprime bubble popped, they still didn't get it. They were saying, don't worry, no big deal. It's not going to hurt the economy. In fact, it's not even going to spill over into the mortgage market. It's contained to subprime. They couldn't have been more wrong then, and they couldn't be more wrong now because they are overestimating the strength of the economy to an even greater degree now than they were then. Remember, why did we have 
a financial crisis because the Fed kept interest rates too low for too long. How low? 1%. How long? Maybe two to four years. That's how long they were artificially low. The Fed slashed rates to 1%, left them there a couple of years, and then took a couple of years to get them back up to 5%. And during that time where interest rates were artificially low, we inflated this massive housing bubble with subprime loans and teaser rates and no doc and home equity extractions. And we had this huge credit crisis because people borrowed money to buy houses they couldn't afford, to buy other things they couldn't afford. And then when house prices went down, they couldn't pay back what they borrowed. And now we had a financial crisis because now the lenders were left holding the bag because now they had a bunch of bad debt and we had all this systemic risk and it was like a big snowball, dominoes and everything imploded. Well, think about what's happened since 2009. Since the Fed tried to reflate the bubble that popped that it inflated and allowed to cause the 2008 financial crisis, interest rates have basically been at zero for the last 12 years. I mean, even though the Fed raised rates briefly, got up to what, 2.5% at the end of 2018, there were only two or three years over the last 12 years where interest rates weren't zero. And if you probably average what the interest rate was during the years where it was above zero, I'm sure the average rate was below 1%. In fact, right now we're at 75 basis points. So we're still lower than we were at the low point that inflated the housing bubble that popped in 2007 and led to the 2008 financial crisis. So if we made enough mistakes in 2004 and 2005 and 2006 and 2007 to create the financial crisis that caused the worst recession since the Great Depression, Imagine what's in store for us now. Imagine the hell that the Fed is about to unleash with this round of rate hikes. Because if we've had basically free money for 12 years, imagine all the crazy things that have been done during those 12 years. In fact, you don't have to imagine it. Just open your eyes and see it. The entire crypto industry, blockchain industry, is one gigantic malinvestment. All of these companies are going to fail. All these people are going to get laid off. But there are so many companies and businesses that were allowed to expand and grow and hire people over the last 10 years, 12 years, that never would have done that but for the Fed, but for free money. Now that the Fed is taking away that free money, it is exposing all of those malinvestments. And this is on an order of magnitude bigger than anything that happened prior to the financial crisis of 2008. Think about some of these industries that are about to get decimated. Housing. Housing is going to implode. Prices have to fall from these sky-high levels, but mortgage rates are going to keep rising. So affordability is going to tank. So homeownership foreclosures are going to go through the roof, mortgage defaults, and new housing is going to stop. You can't afford to build new houses based on how expensive construction is. So the only housing market is going to be existing homes. But when you completely eliminate home building from the U.S. economy, think about all those jobs that are gone. Think about all those high paid workers. They're not there anymore. I mean, when you're buying a new home, there are a lot of jobs that go into building those new homes. If you buy a home that's already been built, there's no real jobs there. I mean, the house is already there. 
I mean, maybe you do a little remodeling, but you know, right now, based on how strapped the average buyer is going to be, assuming he can even afford to buy a house, they're not going to do any remodeling. They're just going to buy the house as is and have to deal with it. They're not going to be able to customize it exactly the way they want because they're not going to have the ability to afford that. So you're going to take the housing market out of the economy. It's gone. It's dead. Those jobs are gone for a long time, maybe a generation. Now look at autos. See, autos were also highly influenced by cheap money. All these people taking out six, seven, eight-year loans, 0% interest rates to buy cars they couldn't afford. The auto industry is going to implode. Americans are done buying new cars. The only cars Americans are going to be buying are used cars, if they can even afford those. But the auto industry, domestically anyway, is going to implode. Now, maybe we'll still be able to make cars for export, but we ain't making cars for Americans. Americans are going to be too broke to buy new cars. So a lot of jobs in the auto sector are gonna go away, which means you have to look down the supply chain, auto parts companies. There are a lot of other jobs that are gonna be lost when we lose the auto industry. Also, think about retail. In particular, I would say the online. I mean, brick and mortar too, but one of the things that's happened over the last dozen years or so, when you had all this free money, was that Americans went on a shopping spree. You know, there's an old expression, shop till you drop. Well, we're doing it, right? We're about to drop and the shopping is gonna come to an end. And so a lot of jobs that exist built around Americans going out and shopping. And of course, a lot of the stuff that Americans are buying, it's all imported. We don't make the stuff, but we buy the stuff. But there are a lot of jobs associated with its distributing and selling and marketing those imports. So all that is going away. But now look at technology, right? Technology stocks are gonna get obliterated because a lot of these companies never actually made a profit. They existed based on the belief on the part of investors that the stock price would keep going up even though the companies didn't generate a profit. And so investors were willing to supply the companies with money that they used to stay in business and to pay their workers so they can keep on generating revenues without generating profits based on the dreams of these exits at higher prices during the bubble. But now that the bubble has popped, none of these companies have a way of staying in business. None of these companies have a way of paying their workers. And of course, a lot of these new companies in the tech space and social media, on the internet, what is their revenue? Because they give away their products. Where do they get their revenue? They get their revenue from advertisers. Well, the advertisers are going to stop advertising because the customers are going to stop buying. And so when the advertisers go away, those ad-based models go away, the subscription models are going to collapse too because to the extent that somebody is subscribing for content online, they're going to cancel their subscriptions. They'll find something free because they have to cut corners every way they can. This is going to be an implosion of the U.S. economy. I mean, I think what we did with COVID is going to end up like a dress rehearsal for the real thing that's about to happen because we shut down the economy on purpose. We ordered businesses to shut down. They didn't want to shut down. We ordered them to shut down and we kept them shut. And then we eventually allowed them to reopen. And so they came back. We're about to see another shutdown of the U.S. economy. Only this time, businesses aren't shutting down because we're telling them to. 
They're shutting down because they have to. In fact, the government is going to want the business to stay open, but they're going to have no choice. They're going to have to shut down. So we're going to basically hemorrhage jobs again. A lot of the jobs that came back are going to be gone. I mean, President Biden is claiming that he's the biggest job creator, even though all that's happened is the jobs that were lost before he became president were restored. Well, now those jobs that were lost temporarily are about to be lost for good. And my prediction is Biden is actually going to be the president who has the biggest job loss on his watch, not gain from how much we're about to collapse from where we are to where we're about to go. And this is what the Federal Reserve is getting so wrong. Once again, they are driving, looking in the rearview mirror, completely oblivious to what lies ahead because they're looking at the economy. They're looking at all these jobs and this low unemployment rate. And what they don't realize is that all these jobs were a function of this free money that they're about to take away. The 0% interest rates and everything that came around it, the housing bubble, the stock market bubble, all that paper wealth and the effect that it had on consumption, on employment, all this is about to go away. The Fed is about to pull the rug out from under everything it built, and it's all going to come collapsing down. It's just the Fed, once again, doesn't know the difference between a bubble and legitimate economic growth. It thinks we have a real economy. It thinks there's legitimate strength there. That's why Powell is confident that we can raise interest rates to fight inflation and everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine because number one, yes, we can raise interest rates, but we're not going to raise them high enough to fight inflation, but we will raise them high enough to cause a recession, but not just a recession, a depression, a financial crisis that is worse than 2008. That's what the markets don't seem to get because I think the reason you're seeing this weakness in gold and silver stocks and some strength in the dollar is because the markets believe that the Fed is going to fight inflation and they're going to be aggressive, but they don't believe it's going to result in a severe recession. They certainly don't believe it's going to result in a financial crisis. So the markets still believe that the Fed can do the impossible. So what's going to have to happen to turn this dynamic is investors are going to have to figure out what's going to happen. Now, either they're going to figure it out on their own or the Fed's going to tell them. Now, my guess is that the markets will sense the Fed's pivot before the Fed actually pivots. So I think at some point you will see a move up in gold and silver, a big move up in these mining stocks, and a rollover in the dollar. Now, those two things may happen at the same time, a decisive move up in gold and breakdown in the dollar. In particular, if these things happen with the bond market continuing to fall, meaning long-term interest rates rise. We see rising long-term interest rates, a falling dollar, and a rising gold price simultaneously. That will be proof that the markets have figured it out, and they figured it out before the Fed admits it. Now, if they can't figure it out and the Fed surprises everybody with its pivot, then the markets are still going to make that move. They're just going to make it later and in a more spectacular way, because at some point, the Federal Reserve is going to recognize that its fantasy of successfully fighting inflation while not hurting the economy just didn't happen. And at some point, you're going to see a wave of layoffs, because once you raise interest rates, You completely change the nature of the economy. As I said, all these industries, housing, autos, 
technology, retail are going to be hemorrhaging jobs and all at once. So we're going to go from a very low unemployment rate to a very high unemployment rate in a matter of months, maybe just one or two months. You're going to see massive job losses that are going to completely surprise the Fed. And it could easily happen this quarter. And if we get big job losses this quarter, then we're going to have a recession because we already have one quarter of negative GDP. If we punctuate it with a second quarter of negative GDP, we're in a recession. What are the odds that come July with the U.S. economy officially in a recession, the Fed continues to raise interest rates? The Fed actually does quantitative tightening. I don't think there's a chance that they're going to follow through, especially with an election coming in November, because if the Federal Reserve continues to fight inflation in the face of a massive recession, which in fact will usher in a financial crisis, just imagine what that's going to look like. Because as I said, the mistakes that we've made over the last 12 years dwarf the mistakes that we made between 2003 and 2008. Those mistakes caused a financial crisis and the worst recession since the Great Depression. So the mistakes we made this time will clearly cause a much bigger financial crisis and the worst recession, including the Great Depression. So a greater depression. That's where we're headed. And here's how bad it's going to get. There can't be any bailouts. You see, when we had the 2008 financial crisis, we had TARP. We had all these bailouts. The government printed up a lot of money to bail everybody out. But that's because there was no inflation. The inflation happened in 2008. But when we had the financial crisis, prices crashed for commodities. And all of a sudden, the inflation problem solved itself. Well, this inflation problem is much bigger because we've had inflation created for the last dozen years. We have an enormous inflation problem that's actually just getting started that's not going to go away. And so this time when we have a worse financial crisis than last time, nobody gets a bailout. Nobody gets a government check. There is no TARP. There is nothing. And what does that mean? That means the U.S. government, instead of setting stimulus checks, to Americans who are struggling, who are unemployed, the U.S. government is actually going to send Americans a bill because the U.S. government is going to be forced to raise taxes on the people who still have jobs because that's the only way it can pay its bills. But you know what else they're going to do? They're going to cut Social Security. They're going to cut Medicare, not for future recipients, but for the people who are getting checks right now. The government is going to have to tell people who are on Social Security and who vote you know what? We don't have enough money. The Fed is fighting inflation right now. And so we don't have any extra money. And the cost of paying the national debt has skyrocketed. And, you know, we have to pay a lot of money to Japan and China and Saudi Arabia. And we don't have any money left over to make Social Security payments. So we're going to have to cut your payments. Now, maybe they won't say that. Maybe we're going to say, you know what? We're just going to tell the Japanese to pound sand. We're going to tell the Saudis and the Chinese, we don't have any money. We're defaulting on U.S. Treasuries because the only way we can pay Social Security is not to pay you and the people who get Social Security vote and you guys don't. I mean, it's going to be some combination of this. But can you imagine what would be happening in the U.S. economy if we were doing that, if we were defaulting on Treasuries and cutting Social Security and raising taxes on the middle class? This is all what has to happen if the markets are correct that Powell is committed to fighting inflation and doing whatever it takes. But I know that's a fantasy. There's no way Powell is going to do any of that. 
at the first sign of real trouble, the Fed is going to pivot. The Fed is going to call off these rate hikes. In fact, any rate hikes that have been delivered will be reversed. And to the extent that the Fed did any quantitative tightening, it will reverse that. It will do another round of QE. The balance sheet is going to explode. The next round of QE will be bigger than one, two, three, and four combined. How do I know that? Because the Fed has no choice. How did I know there'd be a QE2 after they did QE1? Because whenever you do QE, you insure the next one because it doesn't work. It just makes the problem worse. And then you have to do it again, even bigger. And then you make the problem worse. And so QE4 made the problems of QE1, 2, and 3 much worse. And because we now have a much bigger bubble and the air is already coming out of that bubble, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what the Fed's going to do. It's going to repeat the mistakes that it's already made, and it's going to go right back to QE5. But I think the markets will anticipate this before the Fed realizes it. But either way, there is a bottom coming in gold and silver. I think this is a huge buying opportunity in these mining stocks. I still think you ride it out. That's what I'm doing. I actually bought a little bit more in my personal accounts today. I'll keep buying if they keep giving these stocks away. Some people think, you know, why don't we get out and try to buy back in cheaper? And yes, I mean, clearly with the benefit of hindsight, if we knew for a fact, yeah, I could have sold a lot of gold stocks a couple of weeks ago and bought them back cheaper. The problem is you don't know for sure that's going to happen. You only know for sure with the benefit of hindsight. I was very certain that tech stocks were going down. I mean, maybe I could have shorted those as a hedge against my gold stocks, but you never know when the Fed is going to say uncle. That's just a wild card. I have no idea. I'm confident that I know the end game. I know that at the final analysis, I don't want dollars. The dollars are going to crash. I own what I want. I own the things that I know are going to have value in the end. And I don't want to take a chance of getting out, holding a bunch of dollars, and then getting caught with the dollars when the music stops. An analogy I've often used is like the Titanic. I'm on the Titanic, I know the ship is sinking, and I happen to get off and I get in one of those few lifeboats. And now I'm sitting in that lifeboat and I'm looking back at the Titanic and it hasn't sunk yet. And I see everybody singing and dancing and drinking and playing music and having a good time. And I'm sitting there in this lifeboat. Now, do I get out of the lifeboat and get back on the Titanic so I can dance a couple of songs and then try to get back on my lifeboat before the ship sinks? No, I don't want to take a chance on that. If I know that ship is sinking and I don't know how many seats are in that lifeboat and I've got one of them, I'm going to keep my ass plastered in that lifeboat. I don't care how much fun people are having on a doomed ship. I don't want to join the party. I want to stay in the safety of my lifeboat. And that's exactly what I'm doing with my portfolio personally. And that's what I am advising everybody to do with their portfolio. Sit tight. I think in the end, we've got the winning portfolio because in the end, the dollar has to collapse. Real assets have to go up. Gold and silver are going to be remonetized. Gold and silver mining stocks, I think, are going to be the biggest winners, even though right now they're among the biggest losers. But that's the way the market is sometimes. Sometimes the market makes it very difficult to stay in a winning position. The market likes to flush out weak hands. And believe me, anybody who was selling their gold and silver stocks today, those were weak hands. Anybody who understands reality, who owns these stocks for the right reason, was buying, not selling.